Section 19 of Sir Francis Drake by Julian Corbett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 11. The Battle of Gravelines, Part 1. The old story goes that the fatal tidings found Drake on Plymouth Hoe playing bowls with the great officers of the fleet. He was outmaneuvered, the surprise was complete, but he did not stir or start. Of all that gallant company, none knew so well as he all that the tidings meant. But in the jovial face, ruddy and clear-eyed as ever, there was no sign of the anxiety beneath. His fleet lay huddled in port at the mercy of the Spanish fireships. There was not a moment to lose, but hurry would spoil all, and he would not budge. There was time, he said, to play the game and beat the Spaniards too born leader of men that he was, his genius for a timely bravado taught him the value of such a speech to quiet panic for the tremendous effort he saw at hand. For there was but one thing that could save the fleet. It must be got out of harbour before the morning, and then the almost hopeless struggle would begin. Well-nigh incredible as the feat may seem, it was accomplished. During the night in the teeth of the wind, nearly all the fleet was warped out. With the utmost difficulty and consummate seamanship, on Saturday morning Rame Head was weathered, and in rain and mist the fleet began beating to the westward, close along the coast, to try and steal the wind from the Spaniards. So thick was the weather that it was not till the afternoon that the fleets had sight of one another. Then, to the masthead of the great San Martin, the captain-general of the ocean sea raised the blessed standard of the crusade on one side was the crucified redeemer on the other the holy mother three solemn guns boomed out and as the sound rolled through the great armada every man fell down and prayed to christ for victory against the enemies of his holy faith then too along the misty shore where drake's men toiled were muttered unrecorded orisons without ceremony and without prostration they were crusaders too their faith was as deep their worship as devout but the puritans hauled on their bowlines as they prayed there was need for them to aid the lord the armada was edging inshore very close but closer still the arch enemy of the holy faith crept on in the wet mists to complete his manoeuvre fainter and fainter sank the wind and heavier fell the rain as drake wrestled with the weather the chance of success was desperate indeed in those days the best of ships could not sail within six points of the wind and at every tack the countless sails on the horizon loomed clearer and closer as they crept on before the dying breeze yet on the completion of the movement before dawn he saw the fate of england hang on the morrow plymouth would be at the spaniards mercy unless the english by getting the wind could fall upon their rear and force them to leeward of the threatened port night fell with the work still far from done and hour after hour in the darkness were heard the cries of the boatswains and the wail of the rigging as the ships went about continually but when the curtain of the night was lifted it was upon a glorious scene for england a little west of loo was the great armada lazily advancing still and seawards right in the wind of it were forming the two divisions of the english fleet out of plymouth was sailing another squadron 
which as it passed boldly across the spaniards front fired on the leading ships and then going about joined the bulk of the fleet to windward then in loose order howard and drake bore down anticipating that sidonia with his superior numbers and tonnage would take the offensive they had resolved to attempt nothing but to harass his advance and cut off stragglers but no sooner were they within range than they recognized how hard was the task before them far from attempting plymouth the armada received them in the crescent formation and continued its way up the channel unmoved by their fire so well were the spaniards disposed and such splendid order did they keep that it was impossible for the english to come to close quarters without danger of losing the wind compelled to fight at long range it was in vain that they directed the whole weight of their metal upon the port division of the spaniards line and tried by crowding it upon the centre to break up their unassailable formation sidonia's best advisers knew well their weakness and drake too saw it at a glance the fleet of spaniards he hurriedly scrawled on the dispatch that was sent to warn seymour are somewhat above a hundred sails many great ships but truly i think not half of them men of war he was right the armada was not a fleet of warships free to take the offensive as it would philip still less than elizabeth had grasped the importance of commanding the sea instead of being a fighting machine of overwhelming power his great armada was in reality the convoy of an unwieldy mass of transports and storeships and sidonia's orders were to escort it straight to margate and not to risk an action with the combined english fleet till he was safely at his destination but though nothing could tempt sidonia from his defensive attitude most of his flag officers were all on fire to fight their chivalry was slow to learn the lesson which drake so suddenly had taught both king and subject they could not believe that their long unquestioned supremacy at sea was gone and at last don juan martinez de recalde in the santa ana who commanded the port division as he felt himself being forced into the centre was galled into turning on his foes in a moment he was surrounded by the van of drake's division the revenge herself was there conspicuous with an extravagant pennant and banner on her mizzen and fighting almost at grappling distance only one vessel could get to recalde's support for as his flag officers bore up to relieve him they were received by an overwhelming fire from howard so hot grew the fight and so smartly was ship after ship brought to bear on the isolated spaniards that at last sidonia himself was compelled to come up into the wind to save them howard signalled to sheer off and for the rest of the day in order to cover recalde while he refitted his shattered flagship sidonia kept the english busy with manoeuvres for the wind so ended the memorable sunday little enough had been done except to show the superior activity of the english ships and the greater rapidity of their fire they found that under courses only they could outsail the spanish galleons and could easily pour in three broadsides to the enemy's one still the armada was almost untouched at nightfall sidonia having reformed his battleships was pursuing his way up channel after the storeships and transports as majestically as ever and the seamen were grumbling that the onset had been more coldly done than became the credit of the english navy drake saw that the tactics of the past day would never do it was clear that sidonia meant to avoid an action and act purely on the defensive 
till he had joined hands with Parma. Had the contest begun off the Spanish coast, as Drake had desired, a series of harassing engagements might have succeeded, but now there was no time. The two Spanish forces were but a few days asunder, and at all hazards they must not be permitted to unite. Ere the light faded, therefore, the flag of council was flying on the revenge, and when the flag officers were assembled, Drake and those who supported him urged that a great effort should be made without a moment's delay. But right or wrong, Howard lacked the daring of the seamen. He could not bring himself to risk the fleet, the only hope of his unready country, and indeed the risk was great. Every ship grappled by a Spaniard was doomed, and lacking the old hand's implicit faith in the power of English seamanship to elude the danger, Howard would not give way. With a discretion for which he cannot be blamed, he resolved to continue the tactics of the past day, until his whole force was concentrated by a junction with Seymour in winter in the Straits of Dover, and by the arrival of the reinforcements he expected, he was determined not to fight a general action, but to rest content with retarding the Spanish advance till the gales returned for their discomfiture. Still bent, however, as we may well believe, on having his own way, Drake could console himself that as vice-admiral of the combined fleet, the van of the pursuit was his. The captains had orders to follow his crescent light, and with the wind freshening and veering to west-northwest, he led the chase of the Spanish stern lanterns. Under easy sail he clung upon their heels, till in the middle of the night he was aware of some strange sails near him, which were bearing a different course, and impressed as he was with the way the Spanish fleet had been handled during the day, he was suddenly seized with the idea that they were weathering him in the dark. Something at any rate was wrong, and with characteristic decision he felt he must get to the bottom of it. In accordance, therefore, with the naval practice of the time in such cases, and nothing loath, perhaps, to mislead the commander he could not direct, he immediately extinguished his light and accompanied only by his tender, stood with the strangers. Having satisfied himself that they were but a few German merchantmen seeking convoy, Drake at once gave up the chase and let them go. Meanwhile, however, his maneuver had thrown the English fleet into confusion. Howard, taking the Spanish light for Drake's, held on his course. Four or five of his divisions did the same, the rest, at a loss what to do, struck sail, and when day broke the Revenge found herself alone, save for a huge galleon drifting within a few cables' length of her. It was none other than Nuestra Señora del Rosario, the flagship of Don Pedro de Valdez, captain-general of the Andalusian squadron, and one of the finest officers in the fleet. In trying to assist Recalde, he had fallen a victim to Sidonia's rigid formation, which, though well enough before the wind, too often led to collisions if any manoeuvres were attempted. Drake at once summoned her to surrender, but though she had lost her bowsprit and foremast, she had hitherto beaten off every assailant and honourable conditions were demanded. The English admiral was in a hurry. He wanted to overtake his division. He was Drake, he said and had no time to parley, and at the sound of the great name Valdez struck without another word. He and forty of his officers were taken on board the Revenge, where they ransacked mythology to find adequate compliments for their captor's prowess and generosity. Proud of his reputation, 
drake loaded them with a princely hospitality while his officers took possession of their treasure of some fifty thousand ducats then sending the galleon with a prize crew into dartmouth he went on his way with his prisoners to overtake the lord admiral by this time howard was far ahead so closely indeed had he followed the lights which he took for his lieutenants that at break of day he had found himself amongst the rearmost ships of the spaniards knowing as we do drake's persistent methods of getting his way when persuasion failed it is impossible not to suspect him of a hope if not of an intention of entrapping howard into a general action by his wayward manoeuvre but in that case he was disappointed for so light was the wind and so scattered the fleet that it was four in the afternoon before the ships had closed up and by the time drake arrived on the scene the lord admiral had extricated himself without fighting and an attack was no longer possible all that howard and hawkins had been able to do was to take possession of the flagship of the gibuscoan squadron which had been shattered by an explosion in its powder magazine and abandoned otherwise the armada was as strong as ever and to make matters worse sidonia had taken advantage of the respite to reorganize his force taught by yesterday's experience the weakness of the crescent formation in face of so nimble an enemy he united and reinforced his two wings and formed them into a rear-guard while he himself with the galleasses and the transports and storeships formed a van division in this formation as monday drew to an end the armada was lying becalmed off portland toward sunset the wind had died away entirely and thus another precious day was gone and nothing done the moon rose clear and bright and mirrored on the glassy sea the two fleets lay facing each other scarce a cannon shot apart the english were spread motionless in a long broken line at the mercy of the enemy's oared ships it was the hour for the galleasses and from the extreme right of the armada where they lay in all the pomp of their swinging oars they came striding over the moonlit waters upon an isolated vessel of the english but at that moment troubled patches began to darken the shining surface of the sea sails began to shake themselves for the coming work and in a few minutes a smart breeze had robbed galleasses of their prey the doomed ship was saved but the wind was coming from the northeast and the spaniards had the weather gauge the english at once led off with a dash straight inshore to try and get round the enemy's right sidonia to parry the movement stood in too with his motley division trailing after him and signalled to the rear-guard to follow but no sooner was the admiral's move taken up than the english fleet was round again and standing to the eastward on the opposite tack threatening to turn the spaniards left by the change of direction drake with the starboard division was now leading closely followed by the lord admiral and as they strove to pass to windward the fighting rearguard of the armada which by sidonia's inshore movement was now on its left turned suddenly upon them a hot action was the immediate result and at a distance so close that the english ships were in constant danger of being boarded one was only saved by the lord admiral boldly offering its assailant a chance of boarding his flagship and he himself was in imminent danger till he was rescued by drake's vice-admiral to abide such an attack from the windward was rank heresy to the new tactics of drake's school and nimbly disengaging the whole english fleet sprang its luff and ran large out to sea to deprive the enemy of his chance of boarding 
after it the spaniards rear-guard laboured straggling more and more every length it advanced far from being defeated as the spaniards thought the english were fast doing what had seemed almost hopeless sidonia's attempt to follow their rapid doubling had broken his solid phalanx to pieces far away to windward was his flagship toiling after his chasing rearguard farther still behind him were the galleasses vainly struggling with the current in the portland race to keep their positions in his wake and scattered confusedly over the sea were groups of transports and victuallers trying to regain the shelter of the battleships as the day advanced every hour improved the english prospects for the wind was going slowly round with the sun for a time they contented themselves by luffing up continually to deliver broadsides on their pursuers and tempt them to straggle farther but at last the wind had veered far enough to give them the weather gauge and with one accord they swept relentlessly upon recalde's flagship aware that it was still trying to recover from the punishment its boldness had met with on sunday the whole spanish rearguard bore up one by one to the rescue and that with the greatest devotion for each ship as it came into action was the victim of a concentrated fire sidonia in like manner was bearing up with his squadron too when his flag captain pointed out to him that away to leeward the transports and storeships were in sore trouble the galleasses it was evident could not protect them they had given up the attempt to follow their leader's flag but their attention was fully engaged by the triumph the finest vessel in the english navy and the flagship of frobisher he had got left to leeward too but was now bravely entertaining the galleasses while edward fenton in the mary rose and several chartered ships of drake's and the london squadrons were improving the occasion around him End of section nineteen